The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. If you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus begins this section that is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus. It's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the beginning, near the beginning of this sermon, in chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says this about the law. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, what Jesus is talking about with the law and the prophets, he's talking about the Old Testament. And we said section one was the, was the exodus. That's really the law. That's really the development of the, the ways that God is saying, this is how I want you to do life. And then the prophets, that's basically what we've been calling the exile, the second half of the Old Testament. So Jesus is saying, in the exodus, the exile, the whole Old Testament, the law and the prophets, I have not come to abolish what God has set up through the law. That what we've seen in the, in, the, in the early part of this year is that God set up these laws to help us understand how to do life. He had to start somewhere, and he started with the basics. He's saying when you get, uh, way back into the Old Testament, when you get angry with your brother, you're not allowed to kill him. So let's just start at a simple place. And so there's these laws that get established. And what we've been seeing in our pursuit of holiness is that this pursuit is a journey from what we do to who we are. That God starts off by saying, I want you to do certain things and, and, and act a certain way, and here I want to give you these laws. But that's not the end of the journey. This is all for the purpose of you being transformed on the inside. It's all about you transforming on the inside who you are. That's all that Jesus is interested in, is the transformation of your heart. That's what Jesus is interested in. We will see this as we read through the Gospels. That's what Jesus is interested in. We, we saw last week as we talked about Easter, Jesus did not come to overthrow the government. That after Jesus uh, uh, died and then rose again and ascended into heaven, that the Roman Empire was still in control. He did not come to overthrow the government. He did not come to eradicate poverty. Jesus himself at one point says, they'll always be poor with you. He did not come, uh, he did not talk about money a lot so that he could gather finances and build the most amazing temple ever. He did all of those things all for the purpose of us having transformed hearts. That's what, that's what all that he talked about, all that he did, that's what he came here for. It's for the transformation of our hearts, shifting from what we do to who we are. Later on here in this section in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. And for those of you who are familiar with the Pharisees, when you hear that word, what do you typically think of? What's kind of the first thing that pops in your mind? Pharisees. I heard hypocrites. There's definitely a negative piece there. The Pharisees uh, definitely are, are a negative, uh, have a negative tone to them as we read through scriptures. But keep in mind, the Pharisees were passionate about the law. They were passionate about God's law that we read in the Old Testament. They were defenders of the law. They studied it. They knew it. They memorized it. They taught it. They lived it. They were 
meticulous about the law. They were righteous, dude. They were very committed to the law, which makes verse 20 very interesting. Here, chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness, your ability to be right and follow the law, unless it surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What? Here we have the Pharisees who are the best at it. And he says to regular Joes, regular folks, unless you're better than them, you won't even see the kingdom of heaven. That, that, that's an unattainable goal. That'd be like a coach, a football coach, saying to a player, unless you are a better linebacker, than Greg Battle, who's on staff here, who was a Hall of Fame football player with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, unless you're better than him as a linebacker, you can't play on my team. Well, that's not inspiring. That's ridiculous. I mean, have you seen Greg? I mean, so why would God say this? Why would God say you have to be better than the best or you won't see the kingdom of God? Why would he do that? We're going to come back to that later on. For those of you who are familiar with the New Testament story, how, does Jesus get along well with the Pharisees? No, 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 no. No, he does not. If you're still in Matthew, if you would turn to chapter 23, and we're going to spend the rest of our time there in Matthew chapter 23. This is an encounter that Jesus has with the Pharisees. I want to jump to verse 33 and then, and then jump back. But verse 33, just to kind of give you a picture of the tone of their interaction, Jesus says, You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? The, wow. I mean, this is not the Jesus that we see in the picture on the wall of Grandma's house when you're growing up <laughs> with the little glowing halo above him. I mean, yes, Jesus is infinitely compassionate and loving and caring. He is a magnet for children and for the poor and for the broken and for the hurting. So why would Jesus have such an intensely hot interaction with this group of Pharisees, with this group called the Pharisees? Why would, it, why would there be such a struggle between Jesus and the Pharisees? In fact, if, if, if I step back and I look at Jesus and the Pharisees, I would think they would have gotten along pretty well at, in one sense. Because the Pharisees were all about the law. They were committed to the law. Again, they understood it. They were meticulous about it. And here comes Jesus, and he is the best at it. He comes and walks in the law perfectly, better than any Pharisee has ever done it, better than any human being has ever done it. Why did, were the Pharisees not in awe of Jesus? Why did they, they were committed to the law. They look at Jesus, why didn't they go, wow, he's perfect in every way. We've never seen that. Why not? Because when you think about somebody who's, who's uh, perfect at, at, at something or who's very good at something, they're never perfect in every area of it. Let me just take a, a sport, for example, just a random sport. I don't know. Hockey. Let's just say hockey. Say somebody threw it out. I'm going to say hockey. 
Is it possible for somebody to be perfect in every area of hockey, to be the best passer and shooter and have the best wrist shot, have the best slap shot, have, have the, be the best body checker and be the best fighter in hockey? No, it's just not possible to do all the things. Everybody has a weak area, some weakness. If you don't think you have a weak area, you've already identified that your weak area is humility. Boom, right there. So last week, I talked about uh, the greatest hockey player who's ever lived, Wayne Gretzky. That's an objective opinion. Uh, uh, and so, but Wayne Gretzky, as great as he was, he had an area where he wasn't the best. He had an area where he wasn't perfect, and that was in the area of fighting. Check this out. Check this video out. Okay, now I know you don't care about hockey, but that's really funny. <laughs> He's the greatest hockey player ever, and that was one of his very few fights. He wasn't perfect in every area of the game. Yet Jesus comes along, and with regard to the law, he is perfect in every way. No matter what angle, perfect in every way. Why were the Pharisees not in awe of Jesus' ability to uphold the law? And then the flip side, why did Jesus struggle the most with the people in his day who were most committed to the law? Jesus was was a fan of the law, very committed to the law. Why did he struggle the most with the people who were most committed to the law? Because the Pharisees drifted so far from the intent of the law. They drifted so far from what God designed the law to be. Jump back in chapter 23 to verse 5. This whole chapter is about Jesus challenging the Pharisees, and he is hot. Verse 5, everything they, the Pharisees, do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. Phylacteries are these little boxes that contained a tiny little scroll that had laws written on them. And they would attach them literally to their forehead or to their forearm. So they would walk around with these little boxes that say, look how pious I am. Look how holy I am. That they were so committed to how they looked on the outside, they drifted so far from what Jesus cares about the most, which is what's happening on the inside, the transformation of their heart. That was the intent of the law. And the Pharisees drifted tragically so far, so far from that. The intent of the law is that we'd be transformed. And the Pharisees drifted so far from that. So with regard to your pursuit of holiness, is your inside looking as good as your outside? Is your inside a true reflection of the way you, you, you portray yourself on the outside? This is a big deal for Jesus. Sometimes, for those of you who've been Christians for a while, sometimes this shows up in our language and the way that we use phrases with one another or at work or the way we respond to people's needs or concerns and such. And, and sometimes it's just, it's just very pure and, and, and wonderful. And sometimes the, the Christian verbiage is a little odd. Uh, in the church, sometimes we refer to it as Christianese. 
It's this whole language that if you're here for a while, you learn it. And I wanted to kind of share some examples of Christianese and in my search to be reminded of some classic Christianese phrases, I came across this video. Check this out. Okay. Okay. I just got to tell you, I love that. I got, and there's some of you, if you don't get any of that, you're blessed because you, you are outside of Christianese. And then there's others of you, you're watching it and you're not laughing because you're just like, and somebody asked me when I, when I offered this video this week, somebody on staff said, do you think these guys are Christians? Well, absolutely they are. How would they know this stuff? If I was going to do a funny video about what Muslims say, I wouldn't be able to come up with anything. You've got to be in this language in order to say this stuff. Now, again, sometimes this, this stuff comes from a great place. But is it possible that our, that our verbiage and our language is trying to present on the outside something that is different or better than what's truly happening on the inside? It's an, it's an integrity piece. Is our inside a true reflection of what's happening on the outside? Remember, the purpose of the law is not so that we can show how much better we are than other people. The purpose of the law is to move us towards having a transformed heart. Jesus, in this chapter, in Matthew 23, he is not ambiguous. He is not unclear whatsoever about his passion for this topic. He says multiple times, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees. You hypocrites. So much of the world sees Christianity, sees Christians as hypocrites, and it's a terrible reputation that we have to fight against powerfully. Could it be that Jesus in this chapter is not just talking to those Pharisees, those Pharisees who didn't get it? What was wrong with them? What if Jesus was talking to us in Matthew 23? What if Jesus is talking to you? He says in, in verse 23, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Now, dill and mint and cumin, they were easy to come by. They were plentiful, and so it was very easy for them to say, here's my jar of dill, and I'm going to take a tenth of it. That's what a tithe is. I'm going to give a tenth and give that away and see how great I'm doing. Here's my phylactery on the front end. I mean, they're looking good. They're looking, they're looking, they're looking fine. But that's not the point of all this tenth stuff. You could even go to the, the genuine sacrifice of a tithe, which is a tenth. It's giving tenth of what, you, of what God has provided for you towards the work of the kingdom. And even if you're doing that, if that's a part of your spiritual journey, doing that in and of itself doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you a tra- have you, uh, lead you to a transformed heart. It is something that we do that is part of this journey that becomes who we are as generous and thankful people. Jesus says, you're doing that small thing, but you're missing the big stuff that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, justice and mercy and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. 
In other words, Jesus is not, is not saying, never mind, never mind that little stuff and the dill and the mint. Never mind that. Here's what I, re- here's what I want you to do. Jesus is saying, do it. The law, uh, uh, you know, again, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. It's there. God set it up for a reason. But you shouldn't do that and neglect the big stuff that's going on that has to do with your heart. Verse 24, you blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. A gnat would have very likely been the smallest creature that they were aware of. And a camel in, in that part of the world would have been the largest creature that they would have been aware of. And both creatures are unclean according to the law. You're not supposed to eat either a gnat, which makes sense, or a camel. Never had one. Uh, but, but the law says you're supposed to stay away from each, from each of these. And so what Jesus is saying, you are filtering out a gnat, you're doing well with with that, filtering out a gnat by saying shoot instead of that pagan S word, yet you're swallowing a camel by sharing gossip with the people you're doing life with about somebody else because it makes you feel good to lower somebody else down. It makes you feel better about yourself. And sometimes we wrap it around Christianese and we say, well, let's just keep that in our prayer circle. This is the prayer request. You know what Sally did? Dot, 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 dot. And we can wrap Christianese around that. And Jesus is challenging that whole thing. We can filter out a gnat and say, we are having a regular date with our spouse. Great. But we're swallowing a camel by continuing to have fantasies about somebody else. We can filter out a gnat and say, we're bringing our kids to church because we believe that God is important in their development. Yet we're swallowing a camel by so many hours in the week, putting them in front of a TV, putting them in front of a video game because it's so much easier to do that than it is to engage with them and their journey and their hearts and their spirituality. We're filtering out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean out the inside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. This is the exact same picture of, of how we do cleanliness. Of, of, this is the way we clean so often, is that uh, if somebody's coming over and we want to uh, have our house cleaned or room cleaned or our desk cleaned or our car cleaned, then so often what we do is we make it look good on the outside. And we just put everything in a hidden place so that on the outside as people come in, wow, you really take great care of this place here. Uh, uh, not knowing that that closet or that drawer is, is a total mess. I mean, that's how many of us do it. That's how I do it. You, you, may, not, you may not know this. I've read about it uh, in an article. There are some people who actually clean properly and put things away in the proper place. It's amazing. It's some peaceful people in this world who do that. And so what they do is they actually put things in the proper place. How long do things stay clean when you just throw them in a hidden pile? They don't stay clean because once the people leave, you've got to pull that pile up and redistribute it because you've got to know where everything is. But it's the people who remain clean are the ones who have a, an orderly place for things. That's where the, the, the sustained cleanliness comes in. Jesus is saying, you're cleaning the outside of the cup, but you're not dealing with the inside. He's saying, he's, he's saying this over and over again, repeatedly. Verse 28, 
sorry, 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. He's saying it again. And what a picture this is, whitewashed tombs. Would you rather have an impressive, memorable tombstone or an impressive, memorable legacy? Would you rather have your Father in Heaven be proud of your burial site and plans or your Father in Heaven be proud of the decisions you make in private, your decisions of integrity? Would you rather have a stranger say great things about you at your funeral or a family member say great things about you now? Jesus has a consistent response here. Verse 28, in the same way, on the outside you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. How many times does Jesus take a topic and just pound on it over and over and over again. I mean, Jesus has the power to just say one phrase and boom, transform that whole area of life. Yet here in Matthew 23, he keeps this tone through the whole chapter and pounds on it over and over again, a tone that he doesn't go to very often. This, folks, is a big deal. The purpose of the law is not for you to show other people how much better you are than they are. It's not a holier-than-thou journey. The purpose of the law is for the transformation of your heart. May we not miss on this one. Let me also be really clear about something. Jesus is not pouncing on their imperfection. Okay, he's not just saying, you're not doing enough. You've got to do more, more, more. You've got to be better. You, gotta be, you're, you're, you don't have what it takes. That's not what Jesus is saying. Please don't hear that being poured into you uh, this morning. That's what, that's what religion will do to you. That's not what Jesus is saying to these folks. If you are sifting out gnats in your life as part of your pursuit of holiness, fantastic. You're making efforts, you're making decisions, and you're uh, uh, pursuing holiness in ways that are being noticeably different in your life. Fantastic. What Jesus is going after here is the arrogance of piety, where we are trying to show on the outside that we are something way more than what we are on the inside. He's not pouncing on them for their imperfection. He's pouncing on them for the impression they're giving that they are way better off. Than, what, than what's actually happening on the inside. This is a big deal. It's a big deal. Let me go back to Matthew chapter 5 and the seemingly unattainable challenge that Jesus gives by saying, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. The reason Jesus says that I believe and the reason that is an attainable thing is that the Pharisees stopped with their outside appearance. And so Jesus is simply saying, you need to go beyond how you're cleaning the outside. Move beyond that to the transformation of your heart. What's happening on the inside. That the Pharisees had drifted from the purpose of the law and they were stopped with the outside. But he's saying, you want to go beyond that? You want to surpass the righteousness of the Pharisees? Then take it to where it transforms you on the inside. 
so that your inside is an accurate reflection of what's happening on the outside, that there's integrity there. So let me just say, if you are not a believer, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian or a follower of Christ, and, and, and just to be clear, we are so glad you're here. This is a safe place for us to figure out our faith together, to ask any honest question and to go for it. But if you are not a believer, please don't give the impression to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or your parents or your friends that you are at a different place spiritually than what you are. Be honest about that because you could head into a marriage or a future part of that relationship that could be disastrous because you were painting something on the outside that isn't truly what's happening on the inside. Don't be a hypocrite. And just as, if not more significant, for those of you who are believers, it's the same challenge. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't come across in your groups or your interactions uh, or your, your presence in church and et cetera, et cetera. Don't come across as if you are holier than what's happening on the inside. The more authenticity and honest we, honesty we can bring to that, the more transformation Jesus can do in our hearts. May we be true. May it be a true connection between what's happening on the outside and what's happening on the inside. The pursuit of holiness is a shift from what we do on the outside to who we are on the inside. That's what this whole journey is about. And Jesus is incredibly clear in Matthew 23. This is a big deal. This morning as we wrap up, the band is going to come up and lead us in a, a song or two. And it'll be an opportunity for you to respond to God, to uh, not just hear these words uh, and then just take off and figure out what the lunch plans are, but to just take a few moments to soak in the challenge that Jesus offers the Pharisees and how often we have kind of a Pharisaical experience with our journey of holiness. And there are a number of different options here in the room as the band is uh, leading. They're listed in your program if you want information about that. You can uh, just kind of stay and watch what's happening. You can ask those around you. Um, uh, or you can just kind of sit where you are and just kind of let, just take this time to focus on God and ask yourself, in what area of my life am I a whitewashed tomb where I'm so worried about how I look like on the outside, but there's dead, dry bones on the inside. Let's go to God with that journey. Would you pray with me? Father God, I ask for grace here in this room as we embrace the challenge of Jesus that we not be hypocrites. And Father, I just, I just want to bring uh, clarity as we go into this time that, that um, you are not name-calling <laughs> You are not trying to squish us down or hold us back. You want freedom for us, that we would not get tangled up in our commitment to how we look on the outside, but that we would experience the freedom of being transformed on the inside. In these next few moments, God, would you, through your grace, come and move us from what we do to being transformed regarding who we are. Come, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.